This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. You can download or stream the English Heritage Podcast via your preferred podcast platform every Thursday. Now, just as we bring you a new podcast every week, another regular event in the calendar is nearly upon us. The summer solstice, which brings the longest day of the year, is due to take place on the 20th of June, and under normal circumstances, thousands of people would gather at Stonehenge to watch the sun rise over the Heelstone. However, as that's not possible this year, we're having our own socially distanced celebration. Joining me is senior properties historian Susan Greeney to discuss the importance of the solstice to Stonehenge and the other prehistoric monuments aligned with the solstice. Thanks for having me. Susan, the last time we spoke about solstice a year ago was when we went inside Stonehenge on Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire and we got a sense of how big it is and how it was built to align with the solstice. But for anyone who missed that episode, can we start off with the basics? Let me ask you first of all, what is summer solstice? So the word solstice actually means standstill or sunstill. The word comes from sol, meaning sun, and stis, which is a word that means sort of still or stand. So it's the time of the year when the sun's movement around the horizon, the rising and setting points, get to a standstill. And there are two of them each year, the winter and the summer. And we're going to be focusing today on the summer solstice, which occurs on the 20th or the 21st of June. It, it depends slightly on which date it falls. This year, it's actually the morning of the 21st of June. And the summer solstice, the sun is at its highest point in the sky? That's right. It's the highest point of the sky and therefore the longest day and the shortest night. So that's the time of year when really you don't get that many hours of darkness. And actually up in Scotland, you wouldn't get hardly any darkness at all. And conversely, the winter solstice, I guess, would be the opposite. That's right. So the winter solstice usually falls on or around the 21st of December. It's the shortest day and the longest night. And that's when the sun is at the other solstice, the other standstill point, when it's very low in the sky. So we've got two solstices for the sort of polar opposites of the year in terms of where the sun is in the sky. How important do we think the solstices were to prehistoric people? And did one have more importance than the other? Ah, so we know that in the Neolithic period in Britain and Ireland, so we're talking sort of 5,000, 4,000 years ago, quite a number of prehistoric monuments were built to align with the sun and built to align with the solstices, both the winter and the summer solstices. And these monuments are found all over Britain and Ireland. Stonehenge is just one of them. And from this, we think that the directions and the solstice in particular, and at some sites, the equinox as well, was important for the people who were building these monuments and probably important for their religious beliefs. So Neolithic people were farmers. They were growing crops and they had herds of cattle and pigs and sheep. So the turning seasons and marking the changes in the year and the time of year must have been really significant for these people. But they weren't really just building them as big stone calendars. These monuments were probably involved in rituals. Some of them were funerary monuments where people were burying their dead. And so we can imagine that all of these things, these rites and these religious beliefs were connected to the sun and connected to the key directions of the sun, part of the kind of worldview or the religion of the people at that time. It strikes me that these people were very much in tune with nature. You mentioned the equinoxes there. Solstice is a word that people might not know, but equinox is perhaps another one. Can you explain the equinox? The equinox is the midpoint 
between the summer and the winter solstice. So we get another two of those each year as well, one in March and one in September. Now, the equinox is actually much more difficult to pinpoint because it's just the midpoint. It's where the sun is kind of rushing past as it heads towards one solstice or the other. And so for many years, archaeologists have thought maybe equinoxes weren't marked by prehistoric people. It would have been much more difficult to measure. But actually, there are some monuments, particularly in Ireland, that do seem to align with the equinox. And it would have been possible for them to calculate it. So there are hints that the equinox dates were important too. What happens in the sky during an equinox, during the sort of quarter year part well it's just the midpoint so if you can imagine the horizon and you've got a span where the rising sun rises over a certain arc then the middle of that where it rises in the middle is the, is the equinox so it's it's more difficult to measure than the standstill because actually the solstice or the standstill is where the sun remains for actually quite a few days at one or other other end of the cycle interesting i probably don't want to dwell too much on the equinox but how would it an equinox in March look like at Stonehenge? Where would it fall between the stones? It wouldn't. There's no alignments to the equinoxes at Stonehenge. It's it's um, other monuments of the Neolithic period. So, for example, there's a monument in a place called Loch Crew in Meath in Eastern Ireland. And uh, a particular cairn there, Cairn T, lines up so that the sun shines down the passage in the morning when the right sun rises on that date in March and again in September. OK, so we've established that equinoxes and certainly the solstices being Uh, The larger events are very important to prehistoric people in the Neolithic period. Now, let's talk about how the summer solstice was versus the winter solstice. Now, was there more importance placed on one or the other? At Stonehenge, we think that there possibly was, yes. So the summer solstice has been noticed at Stonehenge for quite some time by historic archaeologists and antiquaries. And that's been kind of the one that people noticed. But actually... Stonehenge is aligned with both. It's aligned with both the summer and the winter solstice. And there are a few clues that give us a sense that the winter solstice may have been more important for people in prehistory. One is that the winter solstice is ahead of you as you approach the monument and as you go through the entrance. So that's a bit like going into a church and seeing the altar and the most important part ahead of you. So that would be slightly strange if you went into a church and then turned round to see the most important part behind you. So we think that that's the focus of the monument, the way that it's aligned. There's also hints from a nearby site called Durrington Walls, which is where we think that the people were living at the time that they were building and using Stonehenge. And there's evidence there from pig bones, actually pig teeth specifically, that they were killing and slaughtering a large number of pigs at around the age of nine months. So these pigs were being probably farrowed in the spring, and that suggests that there are some midwinter feasts happening at Durrington Walls. And that's another hint that perhaps people are gathering at midwinter to celebrate the solstice. And Durrington Um, Walls is effectively a sort of little Neolithic village that was unearthed several years ago, was it not? That's right, yeah. It was excavated between 2006 and 2008. And it's actually not that little. It's probably got several hundred houses there in a sort of little valley just up the river from Stonehenge, about a mile and a half away. And the other hint, I believe, is the avenue, isn't it, from the river? Is that sort of the way that takes you into Stonehenge? Yeah, that's right. So the avenue, the last part of the avenue, the last section as you approach Stonehenge is very straight and that is aligned on the solstice axis. It doesn't really help us decide whether winter or summer was more important, but it's certainly the approach to the monument. If you're walking up the avenue, the winter solstice would be ahead of you. And you're kind of walking up a bit of a hill as well, aren't you? 
yeah, you walk up from the dry valley called Stonehenge Bottom and there's a little kind of ridge that in effect makes Stonehenge sort of look more dramatic because it's on the horizon and on the hill ahead of you. That certainly makes sense. I can see the sort of drama unfolding in midwinter as people sort of gathering groups and sort of make their way up that hill and then suddenly you've got that big reveal and this sort of jewel-like celestial moment happening. Sorry, I'm getting quite poetic there. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's really interesting because what we don't know is how many people were allowed to come and witness Solstice. So the middle of Stonehenge, as you might remember from our visit there last year, is really small. You can only fit a few people in there. And so was it lots of people coming together and witness Solstice or was it only a few elite people, perhaps priests or leaders or special people in some way that were allowed to actually go into the middle of the monument and witness that really precise alignment of the sun at winter solstice. We haven't really explained quite how it works. So winter solstice, the sun basically sets between the two tallest stones at the top of the horseshoe inside Stonehenge. So it's quite a precise box has been created into which the sun sets. And you can only really see that from right in the middle of Stonehenge. Mm. And that's a really interesting point that you make about how exclusive this celestial event was. I think that's something that we perhaps haven't touched on before. Was Stonehenge always linked with the solstice? Actually, no. In the earliest phase of Stonehenge, so in about the year 3000 BC, they built the circular earthwork, the Henge of Stonehenge, way before they started to put up stones in the middle that we're much more familiar with. And in this first period, Stonehenge was actually used as a cremation cemetery. So people were burying their dead in and around the bank and ditch, and also in something that we call the Aubrey Holes, which are 56 pits that are located just inside the bank and ditch. And in this period, there doesn't seem to be much clues that the site is aligned with the sun at all. The entrance, the main entrance, which later has the avenue, is roughly aligned to the northeast, the direction of the midsummer sunrise, but it's not actually precise and it doesn't necessarily have to have been aligned. But there is a clue that potentially in that early phase, people were interested more in the moon because there's a cluster of cremations towards the southeast part of the site. And people have basically suggested that people are burying their dead in that particular part because it aligns with, in effect, a solstice of the moon. It's what we call the standstill of the moon. It's the southernmost point where the, the moon rises. So there's a sense that in that early period, perhaps the moon might have been more important. It's only when the stones get put up in the middle of the site about 500 years later that the solstice is precisely and, and clearly marked. And despite the stones having been put up, the moon alignments are still there, I presume. Yes, there's four stones which we call station stones, which sit in a little rectangle around the main sarsen ring of Stonehenge. And that rectangle, its short sides align parallel with the solstice axis, but the long sides may well still continue that lunar axis and may have been used to observe the lunar standstill. Obviously, we're talking about summer solstice. We're focusing on that one today. How does the summer solstice present itself at Stonehenge? What are the alignments? So if you were able to stand in the middle of Stonehenge on the 21st of June, you would see the sun rising to the northeast over the heel stone, which is an outlying stone, a really large stone that sits outside the stone circle. And actually what happens is that the sun rises just to the left of the heel stone. There are actually some trees on the horizon today. So the land is not actually visible. So you get it slightly differently to that you would in prehistory. The sun has also moved very, very slightly since four and a half thousand years ago. 
But basically, the sun would have risen just to the left of the heel stone. And we think that the heel stone had a partner stone. There was some excavations there in the late 1970s, which found a big stone hole next to the heel stone. So we think that there were two standing stones there and the sun would have risen between them. Oh, we didn't cover that in our last episode. So that's interesting. So it comes up sort of through these parallel stones. Then what does it do as it, as it moves around the, the horizon? Well, it rises between the two parallel stones, so you get the sun coming into the middle of the monument. And you can see that if you stand exactly on the solstice axis in the middle of Stonehenge. And that's what we were saying about it being quite an exclusive and restrictive space. Not only can you not get that many people within the middle of Stonehenge, but not that many people can stand on that particular solstice axis. So it's something that may have been only observed by particular people in prehistory. And this, I suppose, establishes the fact that winter solstice is the more important of the two to to prehistoric people. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I quite like to think that they were celebrating both and that they perhaps were building the monument specifically to mark the winter solstice. But the presence of the heel stone, the fact that it's there, does suggest that also the summer was important too. Fast forwarding about four to five thousand years, why did Stonehenge become the place to celebrate summer solstice? Oh, it's quite an interesting history to it. You will hear sometimes people claim that people have been at Stonehenge every solstice since prehistory. I'm afraid that's not true. William Stukeley, who was an antiquary who was surveying Stonehenge in the early 18th century, he was the first person in modern times to identify the summer solstice alignment. But it actually wasn't until another 100, 150 years, particularly pinpointed to about the year 1860, when there was a particular lecture given by a guy called John Thurnham at Stonehenge to a group of assembled guests, when they decided to come back the following year to see if they could observe the sunrise. And basically, generally, interest was excited and people were using their bicycles much more. And hundreds of people began to visit and watch the solstice after 1860. But it hasn't been continuous. We know of a record of the Earl of Carnarvon came to witness it in 1885, and he actually found himself completely alone. So certainly it hasn't been even continuous since the 1860s. But we do know that there were about 3,000 people there in 1891. And basically over the 20th century, right up into the 1970s, numbers probably stayed at about that level, fluctuating depending on whether it was the weekend and depending on whether it was nice weather and that kind of thing. Once people could have their own cars and things from the 1950s, I suspect it increased a bit. But certainly numbers were in their low thousands, probably throughout the kind of early 20th century. Yes, when we get towards the sort of the flower power hippie era of the 1970s, are there festivals taking place there? That's right. So from 1974 onwards, there was something called the Stonehenge Free Festival in the fields around Stonehenge at midsummer. And it was focused particularly on the solstice. And each year people came and camped in the surrounding landscape. Um, There was music festivals and numbers were increasing year on year. Unfortunately, at that time, there was quite a lot of damage being done to the archaeology in the surrounding landscape and also to Stonehenge itself. And there were quite a number of restrictions on access to Stonehenge for the solstice itself. You'll see pictures from that time of kind of barbed wire fences and policemen standing, controlling access to the site. And unfortunately, things came to a bit of a head in 1985 when the festival was cancelled and a group who were attending the festival were basically accosted by the police and there was some quite brutal violence and things. So some really kind of difficult times. And so from 1985 until 2000, people couldn't access Stonehenge for summer solstice. It was banned. And it was only since 2000 that English Heritage reinstated what we call managed open access. And that's the open access that we still provide today. It's a really long and complicated story of um, many ups and downs. But um, how has Stonehenge's alignment with the solstice influenced our understanding of the monument in all that time? 
Well, archaeologists haven't got that many clues as to what Stonehenge was built for and how it was used in the past. So when excavations have taken place there, not many artefacts have been found. It's quite a clean monument, almost seems to have been kept deliberately clean, almost like a sacred space. So there aren't many clues. There isn't you know, lots of burning or pottery or feasting debris that shows how the monument was, was used. So really, the only clues we have are the stones themselves. And so that alignment with the sun is a really big clue for us about why the monument was built and what was really important to people at that time. And so we can imagine that people were gathering there to witness the sunrise and the sunset at summer and winter and that the feasting evidence from Durrington Walls has helped to cement the idea that it was a time when people were coming to Stonehenge to celebrate. We've touched on this a little bit at the start of the podcast with some other alignments, but are there any other possible lunar and solar alignments at Stonehenge that we might not be so so familiar with? Not the equinox, not the solstice, other things? So we've mentioned the possible lunar alignment with the way that the cremations were placed in the early part of the monument. And we've also mentioned the four station stones, which mark out both the solstice and possibly also this lunar alignment. There are also a few hints that parts of the site, so the altar stone, which is the stone that lies right in the middle of the site, and the tallest trilithon at the head of the horseshoe that just stands behind it, were slightly skewed off the solstice axis. And this might be a clue that they were building those to align with the other two of the solstices. So there are four solstices in the year, midsummer sunrise and midsummer sunset and midwinter sunrise and midwinter sunset. So you've got another two places that you can align to and potentially they're aligning these other stones with those opposite solstices. But we're not really sure about that and it's sort of out for debate at the moment as to whether they were marked as well. Right. Are there any other features of the Stonehenge wider landscape that align with the solstice? Yeah, so we mentioned about how the final part of the Stonehenge Avenue is aligned on that solstice axis. And that avenue wasn't actually built until a couple of hundred years after the stones were put up in the middle of the monument. But some recent excavations there have shown that potentially those avenue banks and ditches that mark out each side were actually built onto natural ridges in the chalk. It's basically something created during the glacial period. So there's a hint that prehistoric people might have noticed these natural ridges and deliberately built the monument to align with the solstice because they noticed these natural ridges did the same. So there's a clue there about why Stonehenge may have been built where it was. And in effect, what the avenue is, is a kind of embellishment or making much more visible these natural ridges. Do we see any other alignments elsewhere in the local area in the southwest of England there in Wiltshire? Yeah. So in the immediate sort of little complex of monuments that surround Stonehenge, there are actually a number of other monuments that align with the solstice. These are all timber monuments. So Woodhenge is aligned in exactly the same way that Stonehenge is. Woodhenge is actually a set of concentric ovals. And if you draw a line through that middle of the oval, it lines up with the midsummer solstice sunrise in the same way that Stonehenge does. There are some other monuments that sit within Durrington Walls, the big henge there where the settlement was. One is called the Southern Circle. That's another big concentric timber monument. And that one seems to line up with the midwinter solstice sunrise. So we've got a varying number of alignments and they're all focused on one or other part of the solstice. Mm. So archaeologists who excavated that site suggested that perhaps people were processing from that part of the landscape to Stonehenge and back at these particular moments to mark kind of the beginning and the end of the shortest day, perhaps. So there is a sense that other monuments in the Stonehenge landscape were also being used to mark astronomical events. 
Is there any suggestion that um, the Durrington Walls alignment is just a reflection of the Stonehenge alignment for winter solstice? Or is it perhaps that certain members of society would stay back at Durrington Walls and witness the solstice, the winter solstice there, and then maybe a, a more superior group would make the sort of journey to the temple, so to speak? Is there any, any evidence yeah, for that? No, that's, yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, it, it, something along those lines might have happened. But what's interesting is that these other monuments are all timber structures. And it's almost as if Stonehenge is a stone version of a timber structure. So we know that Stonehenge has the joints, so the way that the stones have been connected together using mortise and tenon joints. Those are what we think of as being woodworking joints. And so there's a sense that maybe Stonehenge is a kind of special stone version of some of these other timber structures. And it's not just in the Stonehenge landscape where we get timber structures like these. There are some near Avebury, there are some down in southern England, there are lots in Ireland, up into Scotland. And there's a hint that these timber structures, they're not necessarily precisely aligned on the solstice like Stonehenge is, but they are orientated in particular ways. And the solstice directions, you know, the northeast and southwest, seem to be particularly important. Mm. You touched on Avebury there. Just tell listeners where Avebury is in relation to Stonehenge and also how it differs. So the Avebury Stone Circle is much, much larger than Stonehenge. And it sits within its own little complex of other monuments about 20 miles away to the north. So not far, it's up in the top end of Wiltshire. And what's really interesting is that we don't have any astronomical alignments, obviously, at Avebury. There are no key solstice axes like we have at Stonehenge. There doesn't seem to be outlying stones that line up with things. Various people have claimed things in the past, but there's nothing convincing at Avebury that shows that they're interested in the sun in the same way they are at Stonehenge. So it's kind of difficult to understand why it's at Stonehenge particularly that people seem to have this real interest in the sun, whereas similar date monuments at Avebury don't. But perhaps it's just something to do with the particular people who are building the monuments at Stonehenge. Mm. As we zoom out even further away from South West Wiltshire, away from Avebury, into the wider landscape and across the British Isles, can you tell us, is Stonehenge unique or are there other stone circles in the Northern Hemisphere that are aligned with the solstice? The precision and the way that Stonehenge is aligned on the solstice is unique. There are some other stone circles up in Cumbria and in southwest Scotland. There's a little group of quite large stone circles up there that may have astronomical alignments. People might be familiar with a site called Castlerigg, which is an absolutely stunning stone circle set in the mountains of Cumbria. And that stone circle has a tall stone, which seems to indicate the midsummer sunset position. And a similar stone circle nearby called Long Meg and Her Daughters also has an outlying tall stone, a bit like the heel stone at Stonehenge, which seems to align with midwinter sunset. So there are some hints, yes, but it's not very common. And as I was sort of hinting at earlier, it might be that astronomical alignments were more common at timber monuments. And of course, those don't survive for us in the landscape today. There are also some stone circles that date from a bit later on. So in the early Bronze Age, there's a group of stone circles up in northeast Scotland, which we call recumbent stone circles. Those seem to be aligned with the movements, particularly of the moon, but they're a bit different and they're quite a lot later in date than Stonehenge. I believe, Susan, I came across some of these recumbent stones not too far away from Stonehenge to the south in Dorset, not far from the village of Abbotsbury. And we did this in one of our earlier episodes where we went on a pilgrimage walk. Do you know more about that stone circle? 
Yeah, I think that's the Kingston Russell stone circle. I think you're thinking of them being recumbent because the stones have fallen over. When I am talking about those ones up in northeast Scotland, they're called recumbent stone circles because they're set out in a circle with upright stones, but one of them is horizontal. It's recumbent and it's deliberately built like that. And what happens is that the moon seems to be basically framed over the top of that recumbent stone. So it's a little bit different to the stone circle in Dorset, which is simply fallen over. Yes, they all look a bit like little sheep that are resting as you sort of approach <laughs> the stone circle, which is quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's a nice sight. Did Neolithic people build any other kinds of monuments to line up with the solstices particularly? Yes, there's a particular type of monument called a passage tomb. And these are built particularly in Ireland, but also in North Wales and up in Orkney um, in Scotland. And those tombs are built around about 3000 BC, which is kind of the earliest date that we were talking about with the earliest phase of Stonehenge. And they're built for a long time, but around about 3000 BC, they seem to be building them to line up specifically with the solstices and also a couple of them with the equinoxes. Perhaps the one that people might have heard of most famously is Newgrange, located just north of Dublin, where there's an enormous passage tomb. And what happens is that at midwinter, the sunrise, what happens is the sunlight actually shines right down the long passage into the centre of the tomb, into the chamber, and lights up the back stone of the tomb. So it's quite a dramatic effect of the sun coming in down the passage. Another famous one is up in Orkney, a site called Maze Howe, where the same effect happens, but this time at midwinter sunset. So again, the sunlight comes down into the chamber. What do scientists and researchers think about that effect? You described it as being quite dramatic. Is there an idea perhaps that the sun shining into the tomb in this dramatic way is some kind of perhaps beam that takes the body off to the afterlife kind of thing? Potentially. So there's re- lots of interesting things we can speculate about what this means. At the time, people are burying their dead in these tombs as cremated dead. So they're not bodies as such. But there is an idea about sunlight coming into the tomb and re-energising or reinvigorating the inner spaces of these tombs, perhaps relating to the ancestors and to the dead. There's also other ideas about how the sunlight might have been important to signal to people inside the tomb that certain rites had to take place that certain rituals to do with burying the dead or visiting the dead could happen. I mean, you can use your imagination to think kind of what all of this might have meant. So it's kind of guesswork, really. But it's fascinating to think how people related the dead and the sun together. Mm. And I think that's one of the important things that you can get when you visit one of these sites is that you your mind can sort of come up with all these sort of scenarios and it doesn't matter if you're maybe wrong because you know it might have a significance if it had a significance to you perhaps it had a significance to people thousands of years ago yeah i actually highly recommend visiting newgrange because they take you into the tomb in small groups and then they have a light show that shows you what the solstice sunrise actually looks like if you were there in the middle of winter and it's really spectacular hmm Was there a particular period of time when knowledge about the solstice, bearing in mind Stonehenge, Newgrange, all these um, places, that knowledge about the solstice and the building of monuments to align with that was really good science at the time? Well, there does seem to be particular kind of horizons in the Neolithic period when people are building a lot of monuments that do align quite precisely with the sun. One of those horizons is around 3000 BC. So this is when Newgrange and other large and developed passage tombs are being built and also probably Maze Howell. And then there's a bit of a gap. And then they build Stonehenge about sort of 500 years later. So there appear to be particular times perhaps when aligning things precisely with the sun was important. 
They seem to be quite short-lived episodes. So the passage tombs, the ones that are aligned, are right at the end of the passage tomb tradition. And the same with Stonehenge. It's kind of right at the very end of the Neolithic period, at the end of the time when people are building stone circles. So it's kind of difficult to know exactly what's going on. But it might be that people are trying to control the sun. They're trying to demonstrate that they have power over the sun or that they can build these spectacular monuments that align so precisely, sort of as a demonstration of their importance and their power and their abilities to kind of be aligned with the world. So it's difficult to know what happens, but it does seem to be that each of these episodes of building monuments that align very precisely is almost a little bit of a step too far, and that there's something happens afterwards, which means that they don't continue to build those precisely aligned monuments. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think every civilization in history seems to have got to a point where they build all these great monuments and then things sort of fall into decline. Perhaps this is the prehistoric period's sort of end of its relationship with its current religion. Yeah, no, that's a really good... Yeah, that's how um, I'm kind of trying to get across it. It's difficult to know for certain. And certainly around about 2500 BC, when they're building Stonehenge, there are other major changes happening with the arrival of people from the continent with new types of pottery, new types of burial rites, probably new language, and almost certainly new religious beliefs. So there's something big happening around those dates, which is quite complicated to understand as well. There's also an earlier horizon right back probably about 5000 BC when there are monuments, passage tombs again, being built in Brittany and on the Channel Islands, sites like Gavrinay in Brittany and Lhugby on Jersey, which are also aligned with the sun. Mm. Um, but they're, again, much earlier than even the passage tombs in Ireland. So there seem to be these kind of peaks and troughs of when people are really interested in the sun and then times when they're not aligning monuments. Fascinating. It's not another one of those mysteries that we'll have to continue to delve into as we pass through time ourselves. <laughs> Current circumstances, of course, prevent us from visiting Stonehenge, but there are other ways that people can experience the summer solstice. Can you tell us what those ways are? Yeah, sadly, we've had to cancel the solstice celebrations at Stonehenge this year for obvious reasons. But there are two ways, really, that we encourage you to go and have a look and experience solstice for yourself. One is the Skyscape website. So if you go to the Stonehenge pages of our English Heritage website, you'll find a link to something called Skyscape. And that is basically a simulation of what the sky looks like over Stonehenge at any time. So you can go on there and it's got a little webcam basically on site, which takes a picture every three minutes. And you can see, in effect, a live view of what the skies look like over Stonehenge. So that's there all the time. You can go and have a visit and a play. You can switch into night mode and see the stars. You can look at sunrise that morning, sunset, etc. Mm -hmm. And the second um, one? The other one is we're on the morning of the solstice, hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be able to provide a live broadcast of the sunrise from within the stones. We're just planning how we can do that, but look out for further details of that, which will come. OK, so that might come out on the Twitter and Facebook and English Heritage yes. website. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. OK, well, we'll look forward to that, Susan. And um, have you got any other projects that you're working on currently, Stonehenge related, that uh, you could tantalise our listeners with? Perhaps any interesting research? Currently, I'm writing a new kind of souvenir guidebook, actually. So that's not terribly exciting new research, but it'll be a new book that'll be available hopefully next year. And obviously, we're working, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be back working on some of our temporary exhibitions. So watch this space, really, is all I can say at the moment without knowing dates and times and things. But some new and exciting exhibitions will hopefully be at Stonehenge next year. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. 
For more about the history of Stonehenge and the summer solstice, visit the English Heritage website. Next week, we're back to discover the stories of a string of Roman coastal forts built to defend our shores from Saxon raiders. The idea of the Saxon shore and the defensive role of these forts was perhaps just one of the functions that they actually provided. Thanks for listening. See you next time.